Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding, a place dedicated to the discussion of Christian faith in 21st century life. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. So join us as we endeavor to understand 21st century life through the lens of Christian faith. I'm your host, Alan Bevere, pastor, professor, author, and lover of Five Alarm Food. Come and seek with me. Well, good day, everybody. Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding. I am Alan Bevere, your host. I am a pastor, retired professor, Bible moth, theologian in exile, and a peddler of hope. And I am the self-appointed Anselm of Canterbury Chair of Podcast Theology and Culture at Faith Seeking Understanding University. And my conversation partner on Calmly Considered this month, as in previous months, who is laughing at my introduction, who has heard it time and time again, and so shouldn't be <laughs> laughing anymore, should no longer be funny, Michael. It never gets old. Michael Cruz, <laughs> Michael Cruz, <laughs> who is the Grand Poobah Chair of Economics and, and, economics and um, Public Theology at Faith Seeking Understanding University a completely made-up institution, but where all seekers are invited to ponder profound things free of charge. Michael, in one week, the boys of summer will be back. It's wonderful. It's yeah. wonderful. I'm looking forward to it. I've, I've been watching some preseason games, but I'm, I'm getting yeah. there. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm So I don't know if uh, the Royals have done this or other ballparks have done this, but for the first time this year, the Guardians are offering for $49 a month, you can get standing room only tickets. So you can yeah. go to every game as long as you're willing to stand in the designated areas. Right. So, you know, if you're if you're 30 years old, that may seem like a deal. But when you're 61, as I am, <laughs> you know, nine innings uh, standing up, um, even if though they're speeding up the games, it's not that fast, you know? Right. Well, they started doing that at the Royals games last year. I noticed you could get okay. a you could buy it on a monthly basis. I think is what it was. Yeah, I think that's what the Guardians have. Yeah, yeah. How'd that, how so, did that work out? Did they get a lot of takers? Or well, I don't I don't know how many they they uh, takers they got. The idea was is that you could get those seats, and then once the game started, if you wanted to upgrade while you were there, then you could upgrade to to get a seat in a particular area. Ah. All, all I know is that I used to be able to buy a ticket for the upper deck and nobody ever checked my my tickets when I walked in because those are the cheap seats. Nobody's going right. to, they're not right. much going up there. Right. But now because they have this thing where they've got the standing room only and you have to upgrade to the seats, now you go get your dog and your your drink and everything and you're trying to walk with your hands full and they have to see your tickets for you to allow you into that uh -huh. upper deck. Uh -huh. so it's, it's made it more complicated for, mm -hmm. uh, for some of us. But yeah, hey, 20 years old, you got good legs out there, and that's good. Sounds like and half of them don't even sit sit in the seats and watch the game anyway. They're they're that's the, right. You know they are. They're seriously. It's like I can't believe you just paid seventy bucks to sit in a picnic table for half the game, right. eating yes. your hot dog and watching it on a television. Right. Right. You could have <laughs> bought a lot cheaper hot dogs at, at the grocery store. Right. You know. Sure. I sure. never. I never understood that. But then, see, I'm I'm a real fan. If that's I'm right. there, man, I want to sit in the seats and watch the game, right? That's right. Anyway. And I don't mind a little overpriced food while I'm watching, but I have to watch the game. 
Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Okay, so on to the other thing. Uh, our topic for today is global population. Will yeah. it be, nice segue, standing room only at some <laughs> point? So we're going to talk about the global population and what that means for future projections and all kinds. It's, it's a complicated, like most issues that we address here. Also want to talk about it again from a Christian perspective about what it means uh, to be a Christian living in a global world now. Uh, I always laugh at some of our fellow Christians who, um, I, I shouldn't say it this way, I shake my head a little bit at some of our fellow Christians who rail against globalism. And I want to say, haven't you noticed? <laughs> haven't yeah. you really noticed? It, right. We are global now. It is That's a global right. society. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, right. so we, we've got to talk about that. And there's my not going back. Okay, so let me begin, Michael. So back in November, uh, our population uh, hit eight billion people, right? And it took eleven years to go from seven billion to eight billion, right? Um, we got some interesting kinds of things going on. Um, the first is is that we are increasing in mm -hmm. in population globally but not as quickly mm -hmm. right if i read everything correctly it's it's slowing the growth and slowing. and you know again what often is left out of discussions these big macro discussions is the concern about population just really depends on where you live doesn't it? i mean yeah right it, it makes a difference whether you live in india or america or nigeria could you explain right. a little bit about that yeah I think one of the easiest things may be to, to just recount a little bit of history and what demographers talk about how we got to this, these huge populations, because I think we hit the first, the first time we hit 1 billion people was around 1800, something like that. And uh, the population had grown in the previous centuries before that, it had begun to grow, uh, but it hit a billion, I think around 1804, something like that. And then it hit 2 billion in 1923. And then three billion in 1960, and you can see you see how it's accelerating up. So what happened? I mean, why we've gone through all these millennia, and suddenly the population explodes? Well, what happened is is that through history we had very high death rates and we had very high birth rates. So you had lots of children, but few of them survived to be uh, adults that went on to have children. So you had to have lots of children in order for to continue the human race. And what began to happen is because of science, because of learnings that we had in medicine about uh, cleanliness and, and hygiene and that type of thing, the death rates began to fall. And it started first places like Sweden and some places in Northern Europe, a few places in, in about the early 1800s, you, you begin to see that fall. And then this begins to move to other places around the world. Well, the problem is the death rate falls, but culturally you still have people having lots of babies. And so now you have you used to have eight children and maybe two of them lived to be adults that had children. Now suddenly four of them are living to adults to be have children. So now you're doubling the rate of your population growth if the birth rates stay at that same high level while, while death rates decline. So that was sort of the first, the first stage is high death rates, high birth rates. And then the second stage is the death rates begin to fall. And then the birth rates begin to fall later. So they do begin to fall, but never as fast as the death rates. So the population begins to grow. Then you enter the third stage where the death rates have sort of bottomed out. And then the, um, 
the birth rates are beginning to approach back to an equilibrium with the death rates where the population levels back out again. And that fourth stage is where things are level, where the birth rates and death rates, and you basically have no population growth, no population decline. But what we're finding is, is that some say that there is a fifth stage in which the birth rates, we get the death rates down to a certain level, but the birth rates have continued to decline below replacement rate in many places through most of Europe. Um, there are places uh, in well, the United States is, has just recently dropped below that level. But there are other places, Japan, um, where the birth rates are not matching up with the amount that we need to replace uh, for replacement rate. So that has been the, the process that has been going on over these years. And what happened is it started in a few small places and then expanded to the whole world in the 20th century. And that's why you see this rapidly growing population. And what's happening now is, is that most countries, there are, there are some notable exceptions, but most countries are in that third or fourth stage where the birth rates are coming down close to the death rates or the death rates and birth rates match or birth rates are even lower, so the population's declining. Most countries are in that third, fourth, fifth stage, but there are still countries, primarily in Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, that are still in that, that second stage where there's really high birth rates relative to the death rates. And so in J Japan, you have the problem where you actually have declining population, while in Nigeria, you have problems with population is exploding. So mm -hmm. that's so it depends on where you are, it tends to be the wealthier the nation is, the lower the birth rates uh, that they have. So, yeah, that's that's kind of how we got to where we are and why it's different in different places. And so then the questions that it raises for those societies and cultures differ uh, based on where they are in this yeah. process right now. Yeah. 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 I was reading uh, on the Forbes article that uh, you you uh, sent to me uh -huh. um, 2022, the top. Uh, let me just read the top 10 uh, in population. Yeah. This is right. This is 2022. Starting right. at one, you've got China, India. This is an order of population. China, India, U.S., Indonesia, Pakistan, Nigeria, Brazil, Bangladesh, Bangladesh, Russia, and Mexico. Right. In 2050, the projection is in order. India, China, Nigeria, the United States, Pakistan, Indonesia, Brazil, uh, Democratic Republic of Congo, Ethiopia, and Bangladesh. So, so what is notice, noticeable is the U.S. will drop from three to four. Right. What's also noticeable, and you just you just touched on it, is there isn't one country in Europe that yeah. is mentioned. In fact, Europe, yeah. as you said, most countries. I know this is true of France. I'm not sure what other countries that right. they really are in negative birth. That they're dying yeah. faster than they're replacing. Exactly. Yes, um, right. What what is it uh, that accounts for this in Europe? Let's just take Europe for a minute. What counts for this in Europe? But there's a there's so so when I look at Europe and I and I see this, I see that these populations in general are declining, or if they haven't quite declined yet, they will be shortly. Right. What is it? What is it? I mean, obviously, obviously, it's it's uh, it's dying faster than being born. But right. what leads to that? What is it that causes that? Well, I think I think the other I'd say that differently. What's happened is, is that our mortality rates, the death rates um, over the past century or so, we've been able to make big advances, particularly with children, uh, infants and uh, children under one years old 
and then in that first five years. That is, it's not the only thing, but it's the big thing that has really changed over the past 100, 200 years. And so what you have then is that we've done about what we can do in terms of really big things that decrease the death rate. So we've kind of gotten the death rate in, in the more developed nations, the more wealthy nations, uh, the death rate about as low as we can get it. And then we're just making minor incremental movements that help move that down. But what you still need is you need parents. And once, once you have that, you need people having children at about two children per household in order to continue the population. And the reason those populations are declining is because the birth rate is sometimes one and a half children per family, 1.2 children per family, one children, one child per family. And so if you keep doing that, over a number of years, your population eventually shrinks because you're not replacing. So it's not so much um, the, the, the issue is the decline in the birth rate, that, that they are not having children uh, at a level that replaces the number of people that are dying. So what, ac what accounts for having less children? I think there are, there are a number of issues. Uh, your feelings about the future, uh, your feelings, you know, what kind of world do you think your children are going to come into? Uh, it's one of the more fascinating pieces that I read recently was talking about in there are uh, nations where you start out in relative poverty. If you give women education, contraception and some economic power, the birth rate plummets quickly mm -hmm. because they are able to have more decisions about fertility and how many children they're going to have. And so they can't they know they can't afford to feed five, six children, that type of thing. So they, they tend to focus their attention on having one or two or three children that they know they can care for. And so that tends to plummet. And with a lot of those people, some women decide not to have children at all. Some may only have one child. And part of the reason that they don't have more children is because it is too complex and too expensive to figure out how to have two, three, four children, how you could have more children. And what we're finding is, in some of the, the studies I'm reading, is that in some of these nations where there is uh, strong parental leave, there are childcare options at work, that type of thing, where it becomes less of a financial strain for mothers to be able to be in the workforce, it looks like there's beginning to be an uptake in the number of children that women have in societies that have that. So it appears that what's reversing the in, in some of these countries is simply having a place where women have, have rights and have the economic fortitude and the support to be able to have small children while they're working. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, I think that, so we go back to why is it declining? And I, I think it's because it just seems too um, burdensome to be able, if maybe one or two children, maybe, but to have more than two children uh, is, is burdensome economically and often puts women in a difficult position in many of these societies. So- In many of those I, societies, you don't need the children anymore to work the farm, right? Yeah, right. So- yeah. so setting, yep. Yeah, right. so in, in one sense, there was a time in, a, in, a, in rural America and it may still be true today in some respect, but in rural America, you had more kids because it was you needed the labor. Once right. you once the now now kids just cost money. Right. Um, exactly. And so that's the, the other thing is, is that there seems to also be a connection, Michael. I've done some reading and work on this. There seems to be a connection between a, a religious affiliation and having children that the more right. traditional 
the more uh, traditionally religious a family is, and I and I include all religions in that, Muslim, right. Christian, right. Um, the more children they tend to have, uh, and the more uh, liberal and even more secular people become, the less children that they right. tend to have, because religion uh, has tended to focus on the importance of children, right, right? and the importance of yeah. having children. So um, some of these countries, Pope, uh, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, when he during his papacy, he wrote this paper, uh, an encyclical. I don't know what he called it. He wrote a paper uh, in which uh, he he couched the language very subtly, but basically it was uh, uh, an article show, sending sending up some alarm that the Christianization of Europe was being lost. And okay. that, and that it was in that Islam uh, that you know, there are there have been some who have projected that in another so many years, I don't know, decades, that if populations continue to grow the way they grow in Europe, you'll have countries uh, in Europe that have been Christian, you know, not not Christian in name only. I'm going to say because right, I, right. I have theological yeah. issues with that, but yeah, that will effectively be Muslim uh, because right. I mean the Muslims will be. A majority, which of course causes causes its own kind of angst right. in a society, but but that also uh, plays a factor. The more secular you are, it seems like the less children you have. And I, I think it's important to note too that along with conservative um, religious perspectives, also tends to come a fairly conservative view towards the role of women. And yeah. what you find is even in Islamic societies that tend to liberalize their population rates tend to go down when women begin to have economic power and more decision-making. So um, as liberalization of societies, greater democracy, greater uh, freedom and economic power, especially for women, tends to, to bring those population, uh, that population growth down with the caveat that I just mentioned before, which is when women feel secure and have the support to be able to have children, it seems that that reverses, that they, yeah. they are and having more children so yeah so so if they know if they know that this is not going to create such a financial burden right uh, they're willing to say have a third child or maybe even a fourth right or yeah so that they they can have as we used to talk you know there used to be the cliche have a have a have a career and a family you know you you're you're going to have both it's not a it's not a cliche that that really is kind of the thing they would be able to work and and work full-time their life while still having children and having a support network that allows them to do that it seems to increase fertility. Yeah. Yeah. So um, where, um, so let's talk specific countries for a little bit. Uh, let's talk China. Now, China, uh, for the first time in decades, is now declining. You know, right. they were, they were uh, what, 800 million, 500, something like that. And um it's a billion eight or something, or a like billion that. eight or something, yeah. and yeah. Uh, of course they had, they had this one child limit policy for years, uh, but now um, and apparently that has worked <laughs> among yeah. other things, and they are now in decline, um, and could decline over the next decade if I read everything correctly by about a hundred billion, which is pretty big. Yeah, yeah, um, and uh, the the. I, I had to I had to chuckle a little bit, Michael. One of the articles was saying that that the Chinese have known this for a long time, and and uh, 
they've needed to raise the retirement age, but the 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 uh, wealthy and the elites who benefit most by the policies have really pushed back. And I thought, you know, even even a communist government still has to deal with special interest groups, right? There, there's a shock <laughs> right here, right? <laughs> uh, and so, um, but but and of course, part of this, then the question always is, well, what's going to happen? Well, the, what's going to happen depends on how China responds to this. Exactly. Uh, right. This decline, because it also, you know, uh, again, aging population, people living longer and um, what that the, the you know, the 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 depend. I think it's the dependency ratio. It's called dependency ratio. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, how, the, that's the key. So let's so talk about that for a minute. The dependency yeah. ratio. Very, very simply. The dependency ratio, you talk about people that are dependent in society, people that are not able to work and uh, produce and create an income off of their work. So basically, we're talking people that are 15 years old and younger, and you're talking about people that are over 65. That, those are the numbers they use. Obviously, there are people that work younger than that. There's people that work older than that. There are people that are in that working age that don't work. So it's not a precise number, but that's the general ratio. It works as a rule of thumb. So you take the number of people that are under 15 and the people that are over 65, and you divide that by the total population. And so that tells you what percentage of your population are dependents. And so it's the ratio of people that are working to those that are dependent is what can have considerable influence on what happens with your economy. In previous years, in the, in, up until fairly recently, the dependency ratio issue was the fact that we had so many young people we talked about this population growth happening. I remember when I was studying demography 30, 40 years ago, you would look at places like Latin America and the median age, that was 15. I mean, half the population was under 15 years old. So you have this tremendous burden of uh, workers trying to supply the goods and the resources and everything that they need in order to have this whole population of people that are dependent. Well, now as populations are moving older, What's happening is, is that it's on the other end of the spectrum. We're having a lot of people that are older that are not working, and that's skewing the dependency ratio. There's fewer and fewer workers relative to the people who are dependent on uh, the workers that are that are contributing to the economy. And so what China is, is going to have a problem with is that because they have don't have enough workers coming into their workforce relative to the number of people who are becoming older, more and more of the resources those workers somehow has to go to supporting that older population. Yeah. And so how are you going to do that? Um, one of the things they talk about for uh, many people that are older, their investments are often tied to uh, interest rates over time. Well, if you have a sluggish economy that's barely able to grow because of the strains on it, you can't, interest rates are always going to stay very low because you, you can't uh, afford to raise them. Um, and then you're going to have to tax people that are younger. That always makes workers real happy to have more of their taxes being taken for, for other for other issues. And so there's a it's a conundrum to figure out how do you go about on the one hand providing for the older people or the workers you have. And of course, one piece of that, I'll get into this, this gets into another controversial issue, is one thing is to try to increase your workforce base. Well, you're not having enough children, so where else might you get workers? Well, did we not just talk about Nigeria? Did we just yep. not talk about Ethiopia? Did we not talk about places where you have work visas, where people can come and work to take some of those jobs that are no longer being filled, that used to be filled by younger adults, 
and they can help provide in your economy. That is the way, and I should emphasize this, United States is gonna have a problem, but its estimated problem is not nearly as big as it is for many of these other countries like China. And the primary reason it's not as bad in my estimation is because at least traditionally in the past, we've had immigration policies which allow immigrant workers, immigrants to come here, permanent immigrants, as well as people to work here temporarily. And that helps supplement our labor force. And so it keeps the economy more stable. Um, That's so, just not red meat for certain voters, Michael. It just, <laughs> it just is not. Right? Exactly. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll tell you what, and we, we can't get off on this because we've talked about it and, and I'll get my blood pressure boiling again. Because, yeah. you know, while certain governors are pulling political stunts and sending their, their asylum seekers to Delaware and New Jersey and other places as political stunts, what they right. should be doing is calling up my governor in Ohio who's a Republican, yeah. Yeah. call up my governor and say, I've got migrant workers for you because the farms in Ohio are hurting. For they're laborers. hurting everywhere. Yeah, they're sure. hurting for laborers. Yeah. And I guarantee you that that we would take them. And, yeah. you know, and so, and this, by the way, this makes a difference. It makes a difference in the cost of your food. It makes a difference yeah. in, in, you know, those people work and then they end up paying taxes and yeah. it's it's a myth that that immigrants don't pay taxes. They'll, yeah. they'll pay their taxes and et cetera, et cetera. So instead of, um, you know, giving something that certain pundits can put on cable news at night, what they right. ought to be is doing something proactive because we do have a need. We do have a need right. for workers and we do have asylum seekers who can help us at least solve the problem. Right. And there's a lot of migrant workers that would that yeah. don't necessarily want to come here permanently and live here, but yeah. would love the opportunity to come here to fill those jobs that aren't being filled and have that money and take it back home with them. That boosts their local economy, which helps them make them a stronger partner for trade with the United States and other countries, increases the quality of living in their home country. Everybody benefits. Yeah, we ought not we ought not to assume that that every single person wants to come to America. There are those who would like to come here to help support their family and do what they need to do, but they're more than happy to go back to their homeland because that's what they love and they want to be there. Exactly. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. Um, so anyway, go ahead. I thought you were going to say uh, something. Well, I was just going to say, so the, the immigration thing, and then also finding ways to, um, to increase the number of babies being born in your society to have a balance. Uh, that, that would be the other thing that gets back to some of the issues I was talking about. Do women feel supported? Do they have this, the social network to be able to support having children and having a job? Um, so I, I think that that's, that's the other part of it. And of course, and I don't know if this is where you want to go with this. And of course, that meets resistance from some people because, well, now you're talking about increasing the population of the world again, and we can't sustain, you know, X many billion people. And so, you know, isn't it a good thing that the world is declining in population, that the population growth is declining and don't we want it to decline? So that leads into a whole other set of. But, so, so let me let me jump on that there. So, you know, I, I don't know if anyone has estimated how big the world can get before it's a real problem. Yeah. Um, but um, the second thing is, is that just like uh, uh, organizational lives, church, uh, church organization life, everything goes through a cycle. So I'm not, I'm not sure, you know, it's, I think it's, you told me, you told me a long time ago when we were talking about the issue of, of oil production and drilling for oil and the idea, yeah. the idea that someday we're going to run out of this stuff 
And, and you know, what are we going to do then? And, and as I recall, you said, we're never really going to run out of it. It's going to become more expensive because we got to go deeper. So at some point, we may still have oil in the ground, but it's going to be too much to, right. you know, right? And, and so, so we... Yeah, we we may grow and maybe get to nine, ten billion, eleven billion. I don't know, but at the same time, there's all kinds of factors in play. Where I I I just think it's going to go in cycles. I mean, I you know maybe I'm yeah. naive about this, but I think that there are cycles that well, take place. I think if you look at most population projections, uh, you know, what was Yogi Berra said, predictions are hard, especially about the future. Yeah. Um, but the population projections, we were at 8 billion now, and we got there in 12 years from 7 billion. It'll probably be closer to 30 years before we get to 9 billion. And then after that, sometime in the late part of the century, it's expected that the population levels out 10, 10.5 billion, somewhere in there, and that population stabilizes at that point. I don't think, this is me talking, and I'm not representing anybody's scientific analysis. I don't think we see another period where the population grows again like it did over this past 100, 200 years. That was a unique fluke that happened and some major change that happened in society. Could it decline? Possibly. Um, I, I, I could see that possibly happening. It maybe it, it no longer it doesn't stay at 10.4 billion for any number of reasons that, that it might decline. But it isn't just going to keep growing um, and, you know, exponentially. So basically, we're talking about by the end of this century, the global population being about 25 percent bigger than it is today. That's yeah. what we're talking about, adding adding to the world. And so the question is, and I think one of the articles I was reading, I was pointing this out, was that said, you know, that this is unsustainable, but then you have to read the second part of the sentence. It says, if our nature of our consumption continues at the rate that it is now. Well, that's the thing. The rate of consumption never stays the same. Things keep changing. We keep evolving. We keep getting more efficient in how we do things. We're using the same amount of agricultural land globally that we were 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, the United States still has about the same amount of land uh, that it used in 1910 that's devoted to, to agricultural production. And we're producing three, four, five times as much yeah. off of that land that we were in 1910. So um, energy becomes more efficient. The nature of energy is, is going to change. Uh, we had talked about materials for building. We used to have steel. If you wanted a really strong structure, now there are... Uh, materials that you can make that are seven times stronger than steel that weigh half the, the weight or less than steel does for, for construction. So you don't need as many materials to accomplish the same things. And I can just go through a whole litany of, of, of this kind of thing where the economy is constantly changing. And I think it was economist, British economist Donald Hay said that if you, if you really think about it, he said it is potential that virtually everything that we make and use eventually can be made out of renewable materials. All the, the, the materials just keep getting recycled and renewed in, into to new products. Can't do that now. We won't be able to in years of my lifetime or probably in our grandkids' lifetime. Yeah. But the evolution, the evolution towards that in terms of the productivity and the things we keep learning is a potential for the future. So yes, the population is growing, 
And so is our ability and our efficiency at being able to figure out how to produce and use goods. It's also growing. Um, that doesn't mean there aren't going to be glitches and there aren't going to be hiccups uh, along the way. But it's, I think it's wrong to just simply look at production the way that it is now, see how much that is per person, increase the number of people and say that our use of resources is going to go up uh, by that much as well. Um, so anyway, that the long and short of that is, so the population is increasing. I think we can sustain well beyond 10 billion people, but I don't think it's ever going to get much beyond 10, certainly not more than 11 billion people unless yeah. something significantly changes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we comprehend. I mean, and I put, I'm not pointing fingers. I think for me too, I think you struggle to comprehend just within the last century and a half, how much progress has been in reference to science project and science scientific product. Um, I don't know that we've made a lot of moral progress. I'm. I depends <laughs> on what depends on, depends on what mood I'm in and what day when I what I think I'm in. But I hear you. But, yeah. you know, I I somebody uh, I, I had somebody say to me I, a while back we were talking about this issue and said this person said my grandfather uh, remembers the news of when the Wright brothers flew first flew at Kitty Hawk and he. Watch the TV when Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and so just the progress that has happened, which has which has made things more efficient and better. Right. You know, right. I've got a water softener right now. We just just an anecdotal example. You know, we had a, yeah. when we moved here. We had an old water softener. We had to replace it after about 15 years. And uh, that thing uses uh, a fifth of the salt. Yeah. that the other one did just because of just because of the you know enhancements that have been made and so we're we're just doing a lot of things more efficiently so i don't think necessarily to judge population by just the raw numbers uh, helps us a whole lot does it yeah i mean it, it's it, it is a concern at one level but it, it's yeah. not the only number and it's it's not the only factor it's it's yeah. one in a series of factors I think from a, from a society level, in terms of what's going to happen in given societies, the real issue, I should say the real issue, but a major issue, a more important issue, rather than the actual size, is this dependency ratio kind of thing yeah. of, of thinking about how the population is, is balanced. Because it's, in, in, previous year, in previous centuries, before we went through this rapid growth, I mean, it was famine, it was wars, it was, uh, you know, pestilence, that type of thing, that's what disrupted societies. But when those things weren't happening, it was a relatively stable uh, societies, not growing a lot, not, not declining a lot. Um, or if they did grow, then that's typically when you got hit with a famine, that's what decreased the population again. Mm. So I, I think you had that uh, somewhat stable thing, but this, this issue with this rapid growth that we had over the past 100 to 200 years is was very destabilizing for humanity and it's going to be somewhat destabilizing for humanity as we go to the backside of this this growth and level back out again yeah. i don't think the backside will be as hard as the front side uh partly just because the planet will be wealthier we will have more resources we'll have more tools at our disposal to figure out how to manage yeah. some of the things we have to deal with but it won't be uh it won't be simple either uh, yeah it, yeah. it kind of blows my mind when I think about the fact that George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and those folks actually lived a daily life more like Jesus than I live like them. Exactly. Right. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's, amazing it's to remarkable. think about. It. Yeah, it yeah. is remarkable. 
Um, you know, the other, so let's, we got to talk about one more issue. And I want to talk a little bit. We got to we got to get religion in here. Um, but um, I, I want to, yeah, yeah. I mean, we got to do that. But I want to talk about, let's, what about climate change? You know, um, exactly. And you right. both, both of us agree that human engine, human caused climate change is happening. Uh, we, we, I don't know, we tend to be maybe, we're not, I don't know if we're in panic mode about that, like some people, but we, right. but, but we do think that the evidence is pretty strong that we are, we are making some kind of difference. Yes. In absolutely. the climate, yeah. the global climate. Sure. How right. does that figure in here when we talk about uh, population? Well, I think it feeds back to what we we're just talking about. If you have, if you're going to add an extra two billion people to the world, um, you're going to have, uh, and there, and we continue to consume at the rate that we do in the way that we do today. Yeah, obviously you're going to have serious climate issues, but th things aren't staying constant. We we are changing the way that we produce things. We're changing the way that we produce energy, um, and so the question becomes how how does that balance? Yeah, it's. We, we talked about maybe this is for another discussion later on, but to me, the 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 issue with climate change strikes me as a little bit like the discussion that we've had about COVID when COVID came. So on the one hand, COVID arrives. We know that it it's estimated that it would probably kill about one point or excuse me, one percent of the people that that it infects. So you can just do a projection from right there that if it sweeps rampant through society and we do nothing, that we're going to lose 3 million people uh, because we did nothing about COVID. Well, the issue is there's never a scenario where we're going to do nothing. Uh, we're we're going to do something to, to get it. And then on the other side, there's the issue where COVID doesn't exist. It's not a real disease. Or if it is, it's not serious. And so we don't need to worry about it. It's all just manufactured by people to raise money for you know their their various pet causes and stuff like that. And so it's not going to happen. Well, that's not true either. We know COVID is there and, the, and that it kills people. So in between those two extremes, there are ranges of possibilities and, and uh, optimal responses that, that can occur within that. And that strikes me to be almost exactly parallel to the climate change. Yes, yeah. if we do nothing and everything just goes as it is, yeah, we're going to wipe out the world, but we're not going to do nothing. Right. right. We're not going to, regardless of what the, the, the naysayers say, that's not what it's clear that that's not what we're going to do. Yeah. Right. Um, so, and so then you end up yeah. learning to kind of live with it, though, don't you? Because that's COVID. That's yeah. what we've all done now. We've all learned to live with it. You know, we don't have lockdowns anymore and everything. But, right. you know, we've got the boosters that if people want to get them, they can get them. And I get mine. And, you yeah. know, um, there are some places uh medical places that'll require masks still, but you know, right. we just learned to, we learned to live with it. Right. And I, I, I think we have to do enough in order to keep it from accelerating yeah. too quickly. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's obviously there. Um, so it, it, there's no way I can couch this that, that makes everybody happy. And, and I'm not an expert in, in environmental science to be able to evaluate everything that happens as well. I do know that it feels like every three or four years, somebody comes out and I think the IPCC just did this again, you know, in 10 years, we're all doomed if, if this, which is always just out far enough that, that it will be forgotten that they said this 10 years earlier. And it never seems to quite be the level of doom. Yeah. There's problems, but it never seems to quite be the level of doom. And the reason it never seems to get that far is because we are doing stuff in the interim. Right. That is, that is addressing it. Right. So, yeah. So anyway, it's, it's so that was, you know, that gives me, you know, the example I think of is Y2K. I remember 
when we were talking about that, you know, about all the computers on midnight and everything. Nobody really knew what was going on, but it was a concern. And yeah. and um, after after we had the year 2000 and nothing really happened, I can remember one guy just talking about how we overreacted and all of that, blah, 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 blah. And I said, but did we? I said, yeah, maybe, exactly. <laughs> maybe nothing happened because we prepared for it. Exactly. Right now, maybe not, but right. but the reality is, is that we did something. We took steps to do things, and so right. it became a non-event. So right. it, maybe this is an overreacting. It was that we actually did something to to yeah. mitigate a possible disaster. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, on the one hand, you have the people that I feel like are maybe a little alarmist, saying that in ten years it's all going to be a disaster. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you, you get that side of it. But then on the other side, there's the people say, well, see, it's 10 years on and nothing serious happened. So we didn't need to do all that stuff that we did before because, you know, obviously nothing happened. Well, it's the reason nothing happens because we did what we did. Yeah, uh, along the way. exactly. So, so both sides of this, of trying right. to say that it's total disaster on the horizon or none of it's real, neither of those are, are realistic answers. And it, it's, it's just a fuzzy gray Area yeah, and, and, and those are also people to like as I always as I say for sometimes, those are the people who shouldn't be in charge either. Yeah. Um, right. you know, if you're gonna be chicken little, uh, or if you're gonna, you know, be uh, Sergeant Schultz who sees nothing and knows nothing, I right. that's fine. I just don't want you to be in charge of anything. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So right. Yeah. Okay, so we need to turn a little bit to uh the Christian faith on this. Um Genesis, uh, in Genesis, God says, uh, be fruitful and multiply mm. um, at the beginning. Um, and along with being fruitful and multiply, we are told to fill the earth and subdue it. Um, I translate subdue as put your mark on it. Uh, uh, religious folks have usually taken those commands uh, literally, I guess, uh, in yeah. many ways, is to have, to have lots of children. Yeah. Um, nothing wrong with having lots of children. We have four. Um, and, uh, I, you know, um, we, we've never wanted to send any of them back. Uh, <laughs> um, some people don't have four. My daughters each have two. Um, yeah. you know, I'm trying to think about this missionally, Michael, and because I, I do, I do have a missional hermeneutic that I, apply to scripture a lot. And so when right. I see that Genesis account from a missional perspective, a Christian, I should say Christian missional mm -hmm. perspective, I don't necessarily see the command to have more children, although there's nothing wrong with that. I, right. I, 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 am, I put the focus on the subdue the earth, meaning put your mark on it, because what the writer is saying is, look, saying to humanity, look, you are made in God's image. Your task is to put God's image on this world. You are sort of the representatives of God in this world. And you are to live in this world in such a way is that others know that this is God's world. Yeah. So all of a sudden, what that means for me is not just have children. What it means to me is that in all things that we do, we are to put the image of God in this world. Yeah. How do we do that? In what ways do we in, do we do that? Yeah. And I, I think you're getting it where I think we're on the same page. Uh, that's how I understand it as well, too. I don't think fill the earth is necessarily a uh, 
increase the number. It can be. I mean, there could be an element of it is increase the numbers of people that are there. But if we are icons, if we are image of God, what I understand is to fill the earth with God's image, that his his character is reflected through through all of creation. And that is both a how I want to say a sustaining of creation that that it continues to be abundant and provide abundance but it is also a working of creation to to participate in the creative work that God does to make it something even better and and uh more affirming particularly yeah. for the for for humanity and 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 uh with our sense of needing meaning and and connection and and growth and and creation that type of thing that is part of how we participate in God so the the earth is both something that we have to preserve and nurture but it's also the ground out of which we create uh those things that are uniquely human yeah and those those all have to be balanced and and held together yeah so that that's how i see it and if you are theoretically if you were to just keep growing the population until you exhaust the earth that to me is not a filling of the mandate that's in scripture which is that doesn't show god's image by just being reckless and yeah. and uh, destroying creation yeah i sometimes seem to uh I think sometimes when we have conversations like this or whatever it might be, is that it almost as if in creation, and I don't know if this is intentional or it's just the way it all works out, there almost seems to be self-limiting parameters, right? Mm -hmm. You're not going to grow the population of the earth to 22 billion people. Right. Right. Yeah. It just ain't going right. to happen. Right. So, um, you're going to get so high and then you're going to level off, maybe decline a little bit. Um, right. You know, um, markets adjust themselves after they go too high or too low. They People adjust. Right. Right. Um, and I could go on and on and on. Even our bodies adjust. Our bodies adjust to side effects and medications and other things. I don't know. There's just something, I don't know. I don't know how to put it in words. There's almost seems to be intrinsic to our existence a media a medium right. uh, yeah. that yeah. everything just levels itself off eventually right you know yeah. now maybe now maybe that is a little bit ignorant i don't know but it just seems like that that we just never it seems like when we hit the precipice it's when human beings um uh in their extreme behavior push all of us over it yeah right yeah and, and I think with the, the population issue throughout the entire history of humanity until fairly recently, Hans Rosling, one of my favorite uh, commentators on these topics, he used to talk about, he said, he said, throughout, he said, we talk about uh, living in harmony with nature. He says, humanity has never lived in harmony with nature anywhere. He says, humanity has died in harmony with nature. Nature was the one who dictated um, how we died and when we died and so on. Yeah. He says, it's only been in recent years that we've been able to live, have the ability to live in harmony with nature where people, very few people live short lives uh, relative to the past uh, yeah. in, in societies that are, that are more advanced. It's still not true in, in many places of the world, but that's what's spreading elsewhere. Um, you can see a future where most people do live long lives and, um, we aren't just at the whims of, of every thing that occurs in nature to, to, at constant threats. Yeah. And so that is a, 
alteration that has changed. And so I think that that's the balance that, that eventually comes back to that. And that, that, trans, that demographic transition thing, there is exactly what, you, what you're saying. There was a disruption and it comes back to a, to another level and then you have the balance that, that comes out. Yeah. And I think, yeah, you see that a lot of things, I think. Yeah, I mean, if you don't think nature's trying to kill you, I, I don't know where you've been. I mean, you know, <laughs> with, between COVID and influenza and between cancer, which yeah. is really uh, the production and growth of cells uh, in the wrong way, right? Or in, in a way that is not healthy. I mean, and what are we doing when, when we come up with treatments? We're trying, we're trying to, well, in a sense, subdue creation. We're, yeah, right. we're trying yes. to say, hey, you know. Yeah. Um, so that's, so it's, that's really interesting. An ecology, an ecology of not, uh, not being in harmony with nature, but fighting against it is kind of interesting. I, yeah. uh, and creation and eschatology, there's some really good theological ponderings there, Michael. There is, um, yeah. But we don't so, have time. Some which would cause considerable controversy, I'm sure. So yeah, yeah. no kidding, no kidding. Yeah. Well, I think we're about a time. This has been a good conversation. I appreciate uh, appreciate as always your insights. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, and uh, next time you and I get together on this uh, this uh, monthly episode, we will be underway in uh, watching uh, the Guardians and the Royals and other teams go at it. And, uh, yes, we will. I'm and looking forward of, to it. Of course, both of us hoping every day that the Yankees lose, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, so anyway, all right, friends. Well, thank you for joining us. I am Alan Bevere. This is Faith Seeking Understanding. And the patron saint of Faith Seeking Understanding is Anselm of Canterbury, who said, I do not understand in order to believe, but I believe in order to understand Keep seeking my friends. Mm -hmm.